This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. Hi, this is Todd DeVoe, the host of Ian Weekly. I just wanted to thank everyone out there who has taken time to listen to our brand new podcast. It's been an exciting process that we've gone through here at Ian Weekly to bring you some some guests and, and some topics that we find interesting and hopefully you do too. I really appreciate you taking your time out and giving us a listen. Please share this podcast and the guests with all your friends and your network. And again, I really do appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to uh, Ian Weekly and you could go to other places for other sources and you're spending time with us. Again, thank you so much. Welcome to episode six of EM Weekly. I have the pleasure of introducing Todd T. DeVoe, who will be interviewing Todd W. DeVoe. This is not a joke. Hi, and welcome to EM Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVoe. And our guest today, believe it or not, is not me, Todd DeVoe, but I guess it's my uh, doppelganger type thing, Todd DeVoe. I'm Todd T. DeVoe, and this is Todd W. DeVoe. So, Todd, welcome to EM Weekly. How are you doing today? Well, I'm very good, Todd. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. So, Todd, tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and, like, how you got into emergency management and into disaster response and whatnot. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I joined the Navy in uh, 1981 to go see the world, and uh, I I did, a 26-year career. I ended up uh, uh, working with nuclear weapons, uh, shipboard nuclear weapons, uh, when I was younger on on destroyers, tin cans. And in 1987, I earned my uh, instructor credentials through the Navy. Uh, shortly after that, after an instructor tour up at Great Lakes, Illinois, I volunteered for a program called Explosive Ordnance Disposal, part of the uh, part of the diving Navy, part of Special Operations uh, for the United States Navy. Uh, went on to uh, uh, lead a few uh, EOD detachments out in Hawaii, California, Whidbey Island, and, and Guam. Uh, made it all the way up to uh, E-8 as an enlisted man, and I was up for E-9, and I decided to take a whack at Chief Warrant Officer. I was fortunate enough to get selected for that as well. So I did a couple of tours out uh, in Asia for two years, uh, out of Guam. It was our EOD Mobile Unit 5 out there. Uh, came back uh, just a few months before 9-11, took a job as the Assistant Training Officer at EOD Training Evaluation Unit 1, San Diego, California. So I did about uh, four years there, three and a half years there as assistant training officer and the readiness improvement officer. Our mission at the time was to prepare deploying EOD teams to go overseas and, and fight the new war. And in, as, in doing that, uh, I established a uh, advanced EOD combat skills training facility up at uh, China Lake, California, in a little area called Darwin Wash. That lasted about 2004 to 2006, and I retired out of there as the director of training. Uh, move, moving into civilian life, which uh, uh, if, if your uh, listeners are familiar with that, it, it comes to a screeching halt. Everything slows way down when you step out of uniform. What I did after that was I worked as a defense contractor and took a job up at uh, Great Lakes again as the Navy Region Midwest branch head for uh, uh, requirements and readiness. I got into Durzan and some NMET 
uh, type activity. Uh, me and the three other folks on the team put together a training and exercise program for the shore response plan, which was coming out of uh, the Chief of Naval uh, installations at the time. Did that for a few years, actually about a year and a half, and uh, I kind of got uh, recruited away to work for Navy Medicine for the emergency management program where, uh, again, I built a training and exercise program for the enterprise. That lasted about six years until 2014. And as the war started dwindling down, of course, so does uh, uh, contractor money. So uh, I left that. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to stand up a uh, uh, consulting business, Twisted Aspen Consulting, uh, during that time. And since then, I've been doing some part-time teaching for an organization called Cubic Global Defense in support of a defense threat reduction agency program called CP2. And as a matter of fact, I'm headed over to Europe at the end of the week to the Ukraine to provide some hazmat training for some of the Ukraine forces. Oh, wow. So that's what I tend to do. Yes. Yeah, it's getting kind of hot back over there, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, they're having some troubles on the east side of the Ukraine, you know, with uh, with Russia. But uh it's relatively safe other than that, but uh, we have, with our State Department in Ditcher, we have uh, some big plans to, to counter weapons of mass destruction. That's what this is all about. And we work with many countries in Europe and Asia uh, uh, supporting that. Today, I'm, I'm talking with Todd DeVoe, and um, that's pretty much the extent of what I have to offer. So That's awesome. Um, thank you. Uh, yes. I, I, got a, I got a funny China Lake story. I think you'll appreciate this. So I get this tag, and I was a corpsman. Um, with the Navy, obviously. And, uh, so I get, I get this tag to go with this mission out of China Lake to do, uh, with the, uh, landing fort support team, the LFST group that Red Patchers that the Marine Corps has. And I guess they're going to go make a bombing run out there or something to create in the middle of China Lake <clears throat> around that area. So we get picked up by some CH 53s and they take us out there and we fly out to China Lake and we land in the middle of this, this area. And I look at my gunny sergeant, and I go, hey, gunny, uh, where's the lake? And he looks at me and goes, Doc, you're standing in it. I was like, oh, my gosh. That was my first introduction to China Lake was standing in the middle of the lake bed without any water in it. So. <laughs> well, yeah, well, there's actually water in that lake. Not very often, but sometimes it gets water in <laughs> That's China Lake. So, okay, so awesome. So you did a lot of work with the Navy, obviously, and uh, it's just the best branch of the the service that you could ever join, just so the guys know out there. And uh, I concur. Uh, you know, I, I did my I did my boot camp up in uh, in Great Lakes. So when you talk about Great Lakes, it's a little bit of flashback there for me. So I am definitely on that side of the uh, of the of the equation of, of the boot camps. And for those of you guys that that are listening, when I went in the Navy, when I went in in '91, we had boot camp in Orlando, Great Lakes, and in San Diego. And today, this everything is in Great Lakes. So. They've, uh, they've kept the best uh, boot camp area open. So, yeah. So I, I come from the best hey, training grounds. So, I have a question for you. Uh -huh. um, I, I checked into uh, my first mobile unit in uh, Barbers Point, Hawaii, in the latter part of 1990, very early 91. And while I was up there, I was there for about three years. And what, one time my uh, lawnmower broke, so I went over to the place over at MWR where you rent lawnmowers. And I said, "Hey, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to rent a lawnmower, please." And the nice uh, gentleman behind me, the retired fellow behind the counter, looked through his records. He says, "You haven't brought back the last one." <laughs> he says, "Yes, Todd DeVoe, you've had a lawnmower out for a year now. We need to get that thing back." Uh, and I was wondering 
if you've ever been stationed in Hawaii. No, sir. There's another Todd DeBow out there with a new lawnmower. But, but, uh, it's, it's funny. My brother was in the Air Force. He gets pulled into his into the office by his uh, CO. And he goes, hey, you haven't paid your child support. <laughs> my, my brother's 18 years old. He's like, I, I don't even have any kids. You know, so they had, a, they had another Lauren, they had another Richard DeVoe running around, uh, you know, not paying his child support. And they brought my poor brother in and going to make him pay oh, some dude's babies. You know, so. Yeah, everybody, everybody was really wondering there for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? Oh, man. So Twisted Aspen, how did you get Twisted Aspen? I, I have to ask this question because, you know, I read your, your company profile and I saw Twisted Aspen on there. I was like, how did you get that name? You know, I'm asked that quite a bit. Um, the last part of the uh, contract I was working on with Navy Medicine, um, the, the contract actually went from a company I was working for called Cubic, excuse me, uh, Camber the Camberg Corporation, and the, when the contract lapsed, I was taken on by another company called Native Hawaiian Veterans, and uh, they were offering me, like, a lot less than I was making at Camberg. So as a uh, negotiation, they says, well, how about we just pay you 1099, uh, or you can set up your own company or whatever, and we'll pay you, invoice you through that. So I was talking with my uh, CPA, and, and she says, yeah, uh, do it right now. Uh, get online and do it right now. The first thing they asked was, gosh, the name of the company. What, what are you going to call it? Well, we have some property here in Colorado. The family does. It's a family trust. It's down in Custer County, uh, whopping 4,000 people in the whole county. It's very beautiful. I'm talking about Sanger de Cristo Mountain Range. And we call that the Twisted Aspen Ranch. Okay. So just off the top of my head, I says, well, let's call it Twisted Aspen Consultant. And that's how I got the name. And I get asked that quite a bit, believe it or not. Well, that's that's cool. And just for a side note, too, I know that you do some woodworking, and it's your woodwork is called Twisted Aspen, too, so that, that's kind of neat that you're able to mm-hmm. tie them both in. So Yeah, it's kind of like everything I do has a twist to it. Uh, <laughs> that's, that is really cool. So, well, so we brought you on board here today because, you know, obviously in the world of emergency management, you know, we're always ups and downs with our stuff. and but one thing that's always constant is uh, is training, because uh, we're always training for the big one out here in California, which would be the earthquake, and you know we're always training for the big hurricane in the in the south and the southwest and the tornadoes in the Midwest and whatnot. So um, I said tornado, I said hurricane in the southwest. Uh, I meant in the uh, south of the southeast. And so the uh, so training and exercises. T- tell me a little bit about. Um, how you go about and developing your your training and exercises for uh, municipalities or, or states or or for whatever contract you, that you bring up. What what is the process that you go through? Well, you know, I could talk for days on that topic, but uh, you know, in a in a macro sense, uh, the first thing I do is, of course, uh, identify the requirements. What's the need? What's the mission? You know, what is it that you're you're really supposed to be doing? And when, when you uh, work with uh, learning and development, or we call it training and exercises in the military, that's, that's really key. Because once you know what the requirements are and you have a good idea of your desired end state, it seems like everything else just kind of falls in line. Well, how do we get there? How do we get there? You know, of course, you'll have some milestones in, in the middle to achieve on the way. But uh, those, those are very two very, very key things. 
and uh, the, the military has done something very, very wonderful, uh, much more inclusive than what I found in our civilian counterparts. Uh, we, we work off of what's called a, a J-Medal. And J-Medal is a Joint Mission Essential Task List. And that's the, the overarching uh, governing directive that we have. And it's broken down the other services, like you have an N-Medal for the Navy, and uh, the Army has their version. Of course, the Air Force does too. But every task, just about every task in the military is broken out into a mission essential task. And those are communicated through standards, conditions, and measures. You have a standard to meet, and the conditions are the influences, like maybe you're operating at nighttime or in inclement weather, cold or hot weather, desert, jungle, so on and so forth. And you have your measures of how well you can do it. We use those as the baseline when we're developing a training plan for, for anybody. And I found with the requirements, identifying the requirements, like I mentioned a little while ago, can be brought over in any aspect of your life, even personal. Uh, you know, maybe you're changing something around your home or, or, or something in your, your, your lifestyle. You know, understanding the requirements and where you want to be is, really helps that. And I think it's, uh, Although it can look complicated and daunting at times, those two points are huge in getting started in any uh, training and exercise or learning and development program, I believe. Yeah, that's, that is essential for sure with the requirements. And I know that like um, here we have done some training with uh, specifically with doing the uh, UASI, using UASI grants. And we have purpose that we have to do, and, and there are guidelines that we have to touch uh, to make that training essential. I think sometimes that when we're putting training on that we we forget that um, we're training not only just the, the the upper brass but we are also training the uh, the the core guys out on the field and I think sometimes there's a disconnect between some of the training that we put on and the and say like the you know, the beat officer or the uh, line firefighter you know who's standing out in the middle of the parking lot going what the heck are we doing here but I'm getting paid overtime so I'm not going to complain. You know, how do we make training that's going to be engaging for those guys as long as making, as long as making those check boxes that we need to do, uh, to be uh, core essential training for like the UASI grants or the EMPG grants or stuff like that? And those answers after a brief commercial break. 315 and 314, there is at least one person that's been shot. Somebody is still shooting in sight. 450, Are you ready for the unthinkable? Call our friends at High Speed TACMED. They provide custom emergency planning and training that saves lives. With years of experience in law enforcement, search and rescue, responding to and managing large-scale incidents, HSTM will evaluate and prepare written plans, training sessions, drills, and debriefs, leaving you with the necessary tools and experience that can save lives. Call HSTM today to discuss your specific needs, and the staff of High Speed TACMED will help ensure that you're ready and are in complete compliance. Call High Speed TACMED today, 805-419-0024. Again, that's 805-419-0024. The friendly staff at HSTM is standing by. Emergencies happen. Whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related, or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple to use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, 
We believe in the power of people. Well, you know, I, I think, uh, well, there's actually phases of training. You have initial training or basic training where you're learning something new or you're bringing a new team together. You want to see how they work together. You'll have some, uh, you know, basically, uh, well, getting back to the basics. And then once you've mastered the basics, uh, you get up to a certain level of competency. And, and what often happens, what I see a lot, is that training really takes a lot of time on any force, especially any operational force, whether it's public safety or military, you know, or even corporate. It's just, it's hard to find time to train sometimes. And, and as such, it falls along the wayside. And when you're up to a certain level of your capability and you don't have what we call sustainment training to reinforce that, those, those skills slowly kind of drop off and they deteriorate. What, after the basic training, keeping a schedule of sustainment training, and that's just re- refreshers for the people that are in the trenches working or, or even the planning staffs. It goes the whole game of the chain of command. I think it's very important to have that sustainment training, especially if your job is cyclical. And when I say cyclical, I mean that it's reoccurring. Uh, in emergency management and, and oftentimes in the military arena, we don't have the luxury of learning from day-to-day OJT uh, because disasters are so frequent and uh, uh, attacks are so infrequent. Um, we have to practice those, and we do that through exercises, what we call exercises. The Homeland Security Exercise and Evaluation Program is what supports that. That's a standard that that pretty much everybody in the country works under today, even military and civilian right. or, or local local government. So uh, if you can plan around your basic and sustainment training, and, and once you've gone through the gambit of, of what your training plan has to offer, readjust your documents as you need to, your doctrine, your instructions, the, the guides that, that help you, your SOPs, and start over again. Because those routines that you build, even though some people may say, gosh, I'm bored of this, I know it real well, I can do this in my sleep, well, that's really where you want to be, especially when you're, what I believe is you're when you're working with uh, uh, situations that don't routinely happen. Say you're a secretary or a manager in an office or, or in a, a warehouse environment. Your job you're doing every day, so you get very good at that. And as you see things, you know, that you can change and improve on, you just do it. You know, again, in the emergency management field, we don't have that luxury, so we have to train. So the more, at least in my opinion, the more training you can do, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you there. Um, I think, it, like, I guess it's the military. It's we we train, we train, and you know, we train like we're going to play, and and then when the thing happens, uh, you know, it becomes second nature. I, I I'm fortunate, I'm fortunate that I was, um, I, I did a lot of emergency management in Orange County, California, and we had a nuclear power plant. Uh, down the street from us, and that that actually made us train twice. You know, every two years, we were graded by FEMA on, on how the county reacted uh, to to the you know, potential nuclear meltdown or whatever. And so that made us. We did a training every year based upon this. So one one year was a non graded exercise, the next year was graded, um, and, and we actually helped out as well with uh, Diablo Canyon um, nuclear power station up in uh, San Luis Obispo. You know, some of us would go up there and, and help out with evaluation and whatnot. But what that did for the county is it kept us, everybody on their toes. And I think that's why Orange County does the wildland fires and, and floods and, and those, those other disasters pretty easy. So outside of that, you know, how do you, do you recommend having like a year out, a two year out, three year out, five year plan um, for your training exercises or 
or do you see something just to be, I mean, like, what, what would you recommend for a plan that way or, or how, how do you recommend setting up your training schedule? Well, I think ideally that's, uh, uh, three years is, is kind of the model. Um, in HC, they talk about a three year training plan. Uh, and, and in my experience, gosh, I've been doing training for many, many years. Uh, three years is kind of like that golden number. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have new people coming in as uh, people move to other jobs or retire or move on. You know, so you, you get in that cycle and, and uh, three years just happens to work well, you know. Um, and, and again, as a standard across the, the nation, it's easy for your training plan to dovetail into someone else's in, in the industry. Yeah, I, I agree there too. We do a lot of joint training. I mean, when I was at uh, doing stuff in our side of Orange County, we did a lot of joint training because we're such a small county. Uh, there's only 34 cities, jurisdictions that way, and not including the school districts and water districts and whatnot, but 34 jurisdictions. Um, LA County, 88 cities, so it's much larger. I, I don't think I've ever heard of LA County doing training with every single city being involved. Uh, they may have. I, I, I might be speaking wrong in here. But what, do you see more regional training being the, the way to go, or do you still think it should be individual jurisdictions training, or, you know, because I know for sure that in Orange County, it's, it's, we do a lot of stuff regionally, um, and even our responses are regional. Uh, I was unfortunate that I was involved in a, in a mass shooting, and we had, I think, I want to say within two minutes, three minutes of the shooting, I think four jurisdictions were there within that time period. You know, so we have to play that way because we're so small as far as uh, cities close together. What do you think about that as far as all Regional training based first on uh, individual training? Well, you know, when you're looking at individual training and small unit training, whether you're in the fire department, police department, emergency management staff, or the emergency operations center, what, whatever, law enforcement, uh, it's really critical that you know your basic skills. So in the sustainment training, you really need a piece that's going to give the individual that, how, how he or she operates with their own equipment. And then, of course, within the team environment. But you can't lose sight of the fact that you really need to train with your strategic partners as well, especially if your emergency management plans your, or your EAPs, you know, include other jurisdictions for, um, you know, in, for the event of a crisis. It's really critical that you work together ahead of time uh, in whatever capacity you can, but ideally practicing what your major concerns are. Uh, in in the area that you're in. So uh, I wouldn't give specific weight to either of them other than that they both are very important. Uh, If you've ever been to a conference and uh, you've been in maybe an area for a little while and, gosh, you look across the room and say, hey, there's Bob from that other organization. I haven't seen him all year. I'm going to go say hi. You know, and then you have a little discussion. There's a lot of value to be said of that when you show up to a real crisis and Bob's there. And you've already worked with Bob. You know how he thinks. You know how he works. So that strategic part is very, very important, as well as the basic training for the individual and the small units, I believe. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you as well. I really do believe in in making those partnerships. You know, the saying is you never want to trade business cards in the middle of a disaster. So um, that's the little mantra that I always stick with. Big question here. Got uh, Got two of them. One is, I like to ask emergency managers and, and people in our industry, what do you think your purpose is, which means your top three things that you think are important to you in the field of emergency management? 
Well, um, gosh, uh, that, that's a great question, Todd. Uh, I, I think uh, the, the, my core uh, has, has three very good ones, and the one I'm going to talk about first is learning. And I consider myself a, a lifelong learner. Uh, when I got out of the Navy, I took advantage of the GI Bill and ended up with a graduate degree in Homeland Security, and uh, that's, that's great. But, gosh, it doesn't stop there. Uh, I like every day to pick up uh, trade trade magazines and articles. I'm a little bit older, so my my sleep habits are a little different. I get up quite early, and I spend my time on learning new things, uh, and not just in this field either. Things that that really uh, are dear to me, but uh, uh, very critical in our field is to continuously learn the the new things that are coming out. Readdress, go back and revisit the old things. Keep your basics sharp too. So for me, learning is, is, is huge, um, and it can be done very comfortably. Uh, I know uh, uh, some learning environments I've been in in the past maybe weren't run very well or weren't thought out very well or planned very well, and it, it was kind of uncomfortable. So, what, you know, making a learning environment as comfortable as possible really, I think, adds a lot of value to it. Uh, secondly, I think planning. Planning is critical, and I think most of us have heard that old adage, you know, plans are great till the first shot's fired, then um, everything changes. But, boy, you really can't get, get around planning. You need those documents in place, the instructions, the standard operating procedures, so that everybody understands, you know, what's expected of them and what's expected of you. Um, and I think the better you do that, um, you know, you keep that a priority, I think the better off you're going to be. But you also have to practice those plans. You can't just write something, get it signed, stick it on the shelf, and, Expect to be able to pull that off the shelf at, you know, at the at the last minute when there's a crisis. You, you need to practice those things. And thirdly, I think, I think leadership is huge as well. And leadership comes from everywhere. It comes from the bottom of the chain of command to the top. And all that is 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 motivating people to move and, and do things right and work in a com- comfortable environment. Uh, if people are afraid of of making a mistake and you know getting getting chastised for it. Gosh, you know, that's that's the things we do in practice and training so that we don't make mistakes in, in the real crisis. But, uh, you know, good leadership will prevent a, a lot of that and really, really you know, create a, a, an environment, an atmosphere that has a lot of value to training, uh, everyday life, as well as, uh, you know, crisis. So, um, gosh, I, I think that's the three areas that, that uh, you know, really are important to me. That's, a, that's some really good stuff. Learning. Planning and leadership. I like that a lot. And, and I, again, I kind of agree with you on, on those areas, man. That's, if you, if you can, if you can master those three things, you'd be a lifelong learner. You're going to be a great, you're going to be great in this field. Okay. So last question. And it's kind of, you kind of segued for me. What are your, what's your best, what's the best book that you've read or that you'd like or that you would give away to somebody, say, new in the field, either on leadership or emergency management? Oh, you know what? I have, I'm looking right at it. It's on my bookshelf. Give me just a second. It's uh, it's a handbook for emergency management. Um, uh, gosh, the uh, uh, you can Google that. The handbook for emergency management is uh, is a well-known book. Um, and I think they're on like the 14th revision, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, McGraw Hill, excuse me, McGraw Hill Homeland Security Handbook. It's real thick. It's a hard copy. One I have is part of my graduate studies. But when you're talking about homeland security, that, that's a that's an umbrella over everybody. 
that's uh, military, you know, law enforcement, public security, fire department, local, uh, you know, volunteer firemen. Everybody's governed by that, and, and it's really written very well. Um, it, it, and anybody in the industry will, will have a section in here that covers them, and it's really a uh, good value. I, it's dog-eared. I have it open all the time. But again, that's McGill Hill Homeland Security Handbook. Awesome. That's a, and I actually have that book, too. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. I think you'll agree if you've been around the field long enough, you know, it's, uh, gosh, that's one you got to have on the shelf. Um, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, that was a good question. Thanks. No problem. This is this has been a lot of fun. So Todd, before we leave, I just want to make sure that, that you have the ability to, to kinda you know, tell people about your business um and how to get in contact with you if they're interested in learning more about uh training exercises and the other things you do too, so that you don't just do training exercises, but I know that's what we're focusing on today. So uh, how can we find you? Well, uh my phone number, three zero three seven zero four two seven nine seven or uh, i have a website twistedaspenconsulting.com um i am a service disabled veteran owned uh but i'm a service <laughs> service disabled veteran and i own a business so i i have that uh, ability too although it's not certified through the va if you do a business directly with the va they have certification pro uh, process for that um but uh yeah go to my website twistedaspenconsulting.com uh, i also have a facebook page same name, and uh, uh, Todd, excuse me, T.W. DeVoe, D-E-V-O-E, at TwistedAspenConsulting.com will get an email right to me. And, uh, you know, if, if there's any interest in uh, any any faction of emergency management, uh, I've probably been involved in it in the past, but I would love to help you out, specifically training and exercises or learning and development. Uh, you've got quite a bit of experience with that. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to plug all that, Todd. Thank you. Hi. And no problem. And just for everybody, you know, in case you guys uh, missed it and you have to rewind and try to find exactly where it is, we're going to put this information down in our show notes as well. So you can always just uh, click on the bottom show notes there and, and his links to, to Todd's uh, consulting firm and to everything else will, will be down there too. And you know what, Todd? I'm going to actually put your link to your uh, woodworking um, company down there as well because you make some beautiful woodworking too. Well, well, thank you very much. Uh, that's kind of a that's a small business I have to fill in the cracks in between teachings. So, uh, <laughs> both passions of mine. I love to teach and I love to work with wood. Thank you. No problem, sir. All right. That was great having you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the EM Weekly Podcast. Be sure to check us out at www.emweekly.com. Again, www.emweekly.com. Thanks again for listening.